Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's really enjoying the Amazon documentary on Jose Mourinho, but thinks they've missed a trick by not widening their lens and focusing a bit on Tottenham too. We're going to be talking about Spurs today and United and Liverpool and Leicester too, because we're exactly one month to go of the transfer window. Things are really starting to heat up with moves being made that are making the headlines. But who's nailing it so far and who are seriously lagging? To discuss this, I'm joined today by two guys who claim to understand how the nation's league works. That aside, though, we're entirely <laughs> trustworthy. It's journalist Charlie Carmichael and making his 93-20 debut, Richard Can from Red Voices podcast. Hi, Charlie. You well, mate? Yeah, very well. Stephen, how are you? I'm good, Tom. Man. Yeah, I was just saying off air, I've got a rare day off today, so I'm going to get stuck in some housework after this. Sounds delightful. <laughs> it really does. I can't <laughs> wait. And welcome aboard, Rich. How's things, pal? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. You're more than welcome. Really glad to have you on. Um, okay, let's dive straight into this, because there's a lot to discuss with movement in the market now increasing daily. Um, but how can we not start with a potential transfer that would surely shake the world up a bit? Rich, from a United perspective, how do you view the possibility of Lionel Messi playing for City this season? I'm quite torn on this one. Um, I think the the idea of seeing Messi in playing the Premier League before he retires or really declines is is quite an appealing one. Um, I'd obviously prefer it wasn't City, um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't I don't really see United putting in a proper title challenge next season. So it almost feels like it's something that won't necessarily involve too much. Hmm. I think it's actually more dangerous from a City perspective in that. Um, the, the finance required to do the deal is so enormous that you could potentially open yourselves up to a similar issue with what's happened at Barcelona, which is ultimately have ending up paying your current players and, and, and players you sign after Messi yeah. more money than you would now. Kind of wonder how what sort of kicker that'll have down the line. But yeah, I'm torn on it. I, I mean, I really would love to see Messi in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, we discussed this on a pod earlier this week, actually, the, the possibility of that and how other players might say, well, wait a minute, he's on this mount. But we came to the conclusion, maybe naively, I don't know, but we came to the conclusion that this is Lionel Messi. It's kind of like almost like he's an exception. So yeah. the other players, for example, with Alexis Sanchez, which we'll kind of move on to shortly, um, you know, obviously he nearly came to City, went to United on very high wages. And that was my concern. I thought, well, hang on, if Sanchez comes in on whatever it is, 400 grand, 500 grand a week, then other players will say, well, I want to share that too. But maybe he's such an exception, Messi, that other players think, okay, this is a one-off. Yeah, I mean, if if it's only kind of two years then as well, I guess that exposure to, to those issues is only, only a relatively brief yeah. um, period of time. But you saw at Real Madrid as well with Ronaldo, as Ronaldo's wages spiralled, everybody else ended up, or many other players ended up getting paid a lot as well. And, but you've got Griezmann on 800,000 a week and, mm. and others on kind of five or six and, and for both it's been a problem but from City's perspective if the money's there and if you can if you can work it within what, what is left of FFP then um, it seems a bit of a no Yeah, okay Charlie, would you say it was a no-brainer? Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of arguments kind of levelled at City be it the, the finances that Rich has obviously alluded to or um, you know, Willie Hunt um, hamper the creativity that De Bruyne has um, sort of operating in the same kind of spaces um, but again every sort of riposte to that has been yes but it's Lionel Messi <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, if a deal can be done, the crux of it seems to hinge on whether uh, the release clause has to be met or not of 700 million euros. Um, obviously, if that's the case, then it's completely infeasible to expect anyone, let alone Manchester City, to put up that money. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think he'll be able to go on a free. Um, I mean, the latest report seems to say that George Messi, the agent and father of Lionel, has been speaking to Bartomeu, the president, and that um, he's now considering staying for another year. So who knows? The situation seems to change every single day. Um, but I think just from a Premier League perspective, it would be incredible, obviously, to have Lionel Messi. Yeah, it's such a shame uh, that there'll be no, no fans there to see it, or at least initially as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a real shame. But um, yeah, I think just even for the for the influx of the television money that it would bring for the rest of the league. So even a team like Leicester, that ostensibly it doesn't really affect too much. Uh, you would imagine that sort of you know TV deals would go up in the next few years that would in, enhance our kind of revenue and budget. Um, obviously, the sheer joy of just watching him play in the Premier League. Um, I guess my only headache would be how I'd fit him into my fantasy football team. Well, we yeah. discussed that this week as well. I mean, normally they're capped at about, say, 10 million for the very best around, you know, say, a Mo Salah or Kevin De Bruyne. How much is Messi going to cost? <laughs> We're going to have to basically get Messi and loads of, you know, kind of, I don't know, Brighton reserves in there. That's the only way they could <laughs> do it. Um, let's switch attention to across Manchester to United now. Um, they signed Donny van der Beek uh, this week. Um, in my opinion, he's an excellent signing. He's an excellent player, uh, but Rich is another attacking midfielder, um, or is he? I mean, I, I've read this week how versatile he is. I've seen him myself in, not, I wouldn't say a holding midfield role, but certainly kind of, you know, linking up play in a centre circle. Um, was he a player you needed? Yeah, I I think that. One of the biggest issues United had towards the end of the season was the fact that we the, the drop off in quality below the the first eleven is absolutely enormous. Yeah. Um, so you're going from you're going from Bruno Fernandes to an Andreas Pereira, who I'm not even convinced is a Premier League footballer, let alone a you know mm. top 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 um top player. Um, and, and you had a, you have a similar thing in the, in the midfield as well. You lose Pogba and you you, you kind of down to Scott McTominay, who I think is a useful um, sort of squad player, but he's the, the difference in abilities and qualities is is really huge. Um, so from from my perspective, he, I think he he's Van Bake's a good signing in in two perspectives. I mean, he's 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 clearly a very good value signing for the amount of um, for the talent that he has, but also I think that versatility is useful. I think against certain opposition, he could play in that in that deeper role where we've been using Fred or Matic. Where United will dominate possession, but he is versatile enough that he can play box to box or fill, fill in number ten as well. So gives he gives United options which we've not had, um, we didn't have last season at all. Um, and for for forty million euros or whatever exactly the fee is, I think it's a quite a no risk signing that really bolsters what there is in that midfield. And if you look at City or you look at Liverpool, you've probably got five or six really high quality midfielders in, in the squad, and so. That, that ability to rotate and to use different balances and different systems is is really um, something that we've not had and something that, that we need if we're going to take a step towards the top teams. Yeah. I mean, what I've seen on, particularly on Twitter this week, is a phenomenon which is, it's understandable. We see it every year from at least one club where if a club is kind of dragging its heels in making a sign-in and then they eventually do, people tend to think, well, that's it. That's who we've got. But of course, this could open the floodgates, couldn't it? There could be further signings to come. I'd be surprised if there weren't one or two more. Um, mm. United are in a difficult position this summer in that 
we aren't cash rich. Um, we used a large portion of our cash balance to pay up front for the signings last summer, which was made sense at the time because it would have given us it, it would have given us more leeway going forward for uh, staggered deals in future. Um, but what obviously COVID's come along and it's completely changed the picture. So United are in a position where they've had to um, to activate a, a £150 million rolling credit facility just to cover costs um, of wages and whatever else before transfers. Um, and so I think you're going to see a United that's a bit more canny this summer in, or hopefully a bit more canny this summer in the transfer market. Probably if I'm still, I still not quite sure how we'd afford Sancho if he came, but I think you'll see one or two more if we can move some players out. But I mean, I think the big one was getting Sanchez out because his wages are absolutely enormous. I think I kind of back of a fag packet worked out that um, <laughs> his the saving in his wages over the next two years was almost, you know, in the ballpark of, of what it's actually cost to buy and pay Van Baek. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it rely, I think it'll rely on getting four or five more out the door. Okay. Um, Charlie, are you the same as me regarding Van der Baek where... You've seen him on occasions. He's impressed you. I mean, personally, I've, I haven't seen him beyond maybe five or six games. But each time, I think, yeah, he's, he's a useful player. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, he played a starring role in that kind of Champions League run mm. to the semi-finals. Uh, that obviously ended in heartbreak against Tottenham. Um, obviously, uh, Frankie De Jong and uh, Matthias De Ligt got their moves the the summer before. But um, yeah, for me, he's I kind of see him as more of kind of like a roaming number eight or a number ten. Um, I wouldn't particularly see him filling that Matage void unless United were playing a team that they thought they would just utterly dominate yeah. and needed to obviously, you know, sort of 10 men behind the ball and break down. Um, so I do kind of see him rotating more with Pogba and Fernandez moving forwards. And uh, as Rich said, I kind of think that that's essential for United. You know, they've got on paper, their first team is is good enough to, to rival, you know, even Liverpool and City on their day. But um, the squad is just so bare in terms of quality. Um Getting him in is is a massive step forward for me. Okay, um, well, moving across to Leicester now, your team, Charlie. Um, I've seen you mention on Twitter um, concerns about Leicester's owners suffering financially due to COVID, um, and subsequently, it does appear that the Foxes are now prioritising value for money in, in the transfer window. Um, what, what's your thought on this? Do you think it, it is a case where the, the owner and because, of course, it's a duty free business that they run. Um, which is going to be suffering enormously right now. Do you think that's having a direct effect on their transfer business? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think some of the stuff that Rich said about United definitely rings true of Leicester as well. Um, as you've mentioned just there, the King Power Group, who obviously own Leicester City, uh, sponsor the stadium, sponsor the, the kit. Uh, they operate in duty-free, which is probably the worst business to be in yeah. um, at the moment due to the coronavirus. Um, so, you know, even before that, we've had a relationship with an Australian bank dating back to actually the Riyad Mahrez sale to Manchester City. Um, well, we've been taking out a series of loans in order to sort of facilitate moves. Um, obviously because, you know, the Mahrez money, et cetera, has been paying an installment. So we've obviously needed the money up front. So we've taken that out of a, out of a bank, um, right. in order to do that. Um, with now obviously COVID and missing out on Champions League on the last day of the season, it did seem like the club was kind of preparing itself almost to operate with the Champions League money. And obviously no one can foresee the scale of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, so yeah, it is concerning. Obviously Ben Chilwell has been sold now for around £50 million. It doesn't look like that money is going to be reinvested in its entirety. 
I think the main problem that we had, or well, perhaps we were fortunate with last summer when we sold Harry Maguire for 80 million pounds, uh, is that we had Soyuncu, who um, was kind of a bit hit and missed the season before. He was in and out of the team, but he really stepped up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's been absolutely sensational this uh, these last 12 months. We don't really have anyone in the Soyuncu mould who can just step up and just replace Ben Chilwell like that at the drop of a hat. Um, so we've had to delve into the transfer market. We've been linked with a, a plethora of left backs and we've ended up with a right footed right wing back. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's an interesting one. Um, I think a lot of the fans are expecting Rogers perhaps to move to a back three based on the fact that he kind of dabbled with it uh, towards the back end of last season. Uh, obviously, Chilwell's now gone, but Ricardo is also more comfortable playing as a wing back. Um, and, the, and the new Belgium lad that we've brought in as well is obviously operating at a wing back. So I think if we are going to play him on the left-hand side, it would be much more beneficial to play him in a wing back role rather than a full back role. Yeah. Um, but in order to do that, we need to bring in some centre backs um, because we just don't have enough on the books. I mean, Johnny Evans uh, is suspended for the first three games next season after uh, getting red carded in the final game of the season against United. Um, so you can choose back. But beyond that, you've got sort of the 36-year-old Wes Morgan uh, Philippe Benkovic, who has played a handful of games and who's spent the majority of his time in the physio room injured. Um, and then, yeah, sort of a couple of youth prospects like Darnell Johnson, etc. But there's there's no real quality there at, at centre-back beyond Evans and Cienciu. So to, even if you're playing a back four, there needs to be reinvestment there, let alone playing a back three. OK. Um, as a similar story at Liverpool, in a, in a way at least, um, they've got three quality centre-backs but beyond that you know having let Lovren go um, you think they'll be looking for a centre-back and yet they don't seem to um, but then again the kind of flip side of that is Liverpool do tend to do their business on the quiet um, Rich if you were a Liverpool fan and I apologise for putting that sentence together <laughs> <laughs> would it concern you that the Reds entire transfer strategy this window appears to be to replace Warnoundum with Thiago Um are they missing out on a great opportunity to really build on their success by targeting one or two marquee names? Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, that they obviously wanted Timo Werner and, and and weren't able to pull the finance off. So I'd suggest there's probably they've probably got similar problems with 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 money that most of the other Premier League clubs have. But I have been surprised that that they haven't made more market moves in the last sort of eighteen months. Because if we if I look back at Kind of Fergie's time at United, he always used to say that you never stand still, never, yes, um, always, always bring in fresh, hungry players who'll challenge the players you've got. Um, and I think we've seen a bit since United, uh, since Liverpool wrapped up the Premier League title, there was a clear drop off, and that, I mean, obviously, that can happen after you, um, after you win the title, and, and there's no more pressure on the games. But even in the Charity Shield, I think, you, I think Liverpool look really sluggish and really not themselves. And if you look at the front three, there's no, there's really no, no pressure on them to perform because there's nobody else behind them. And I think you could say perhaps the same of some of the defenders as well. And so I would be a bit concerned just simply because I, I think, I think they are in a dangerous place in, in, in the, if they, if they stand still, I think while other teams are moving, they could actually end, find themselves dropping off the pace. Well, I mean, it's a distinct possibility, isn't it, Charlie? Because, I mean, as Rich said there, it's at least 18 months now before since they've brought in a first-teamer, a new kind of signing who's gone into their first team. And um, you do look at that in a similar fashion to kind of what you said about United, actually. You look at their kind of first 11 or first kind of 16, I guess, and that's obviously top quality as proven last season. 
beyond that, will Klopp be looking to bring through the kids? And it, that's a risk, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the owners, Fenway Sports Group, are, are very shrewd businessmen. They're not the sort of owners who are just going to pump loads of money into the football club. You can yeah. see that in the fact that they bid £10 million for Jamal Lewis. And when uh, Norwich said, well, no, we want at least double that, they just walked away, uh, which for a, a team like Liverpool, you would expect isn't an issue to pay. But mm. um, they've obviously signed the Greek left back instead. Um, the links with Thiago are an interesting one. Um, he's not for me a Jurgen Klopp player. Um, he's not very athletic. He's not very aggressive. You know, don't get me wrong. He is a, a phenomenally talented player. I mean, you just have to look at the Champions League final to see that. Um, but in terms of the system that Klopp plays, he doesn't really fit in. So it kind of just feels like uh, he's just he's available and he's too good to miss out on. Therefore, Liverpool want to make a move for him yeah, rather than he really fits into Klopp's plans. Yeah. Mm. Would you go along with that, Richard? I mean, Thiago, I wholeheartedly can care, actually. He's... he's astonishingly good footballer but quite a surprise because he's not really a clock player yeah I agree with what Charlie said I think there is a sense that his his availability is is partly driving it it does look like they're not really getting they haven't really got anywhere with getting Wijnaldum to sign new contracts and he's probably looking to he's probably looking to move to Barcelona so you imagine that'll be a similar fee to that which would be needed to get Thiago in so yeah. it does kind of just look like we're losing one experienced midfielder so we're going to bring in another one that's available um but as charlie said i mean he is a he is an absolutely terrific footballer it'd just be really interesting to see how he fits into um Klopp's system and whether he can okay well moving across merseyside um there's another couple of players who you know really excite the prospect of them kind of coming to the premier league um, and a possibly exciting transfer window for everton uh, which is something you know i think personally that they well deserve um, the closest signing, Rodriguez, uh, Decore, uh, Allen. Um, should all three arrive, and who knows, there might well be one or two more to come. Um, Charlie, would you say that this was, would be now a true Ancelotti side rather than him making do last season? Well, I mean, I think Everton have been crying out for a central midfielder. Um, you know, a quality or a midfield. central midfielder. <laughs> yeah, or a midfield <laughs> in general, yeah. Um, but yeah, so getting getting those two central midfielders, uh, Decore and Alan, would go a long way to solving that problem. Yeah. James Rodriguez, uh, Carlo Ancelotti has a good relationship with. He's the man that brought him to Real Madrid initially. He's also the man that brought him to Bayern Munich on loan. Uh, so this would kind of be a complete trilogy of uh, the James Rodriguez and Ancelotti relationship. <laughs> um, so yeah, Rodriguez has obviously been um, sort of you know a bit part player for a, a couple of years now. Uh, he's obviously still wildly talented, and if anyone can get the best out of him, you would imagine it would be Ancelotti. Um, I would reckon that a lot of the success or lack thereof that Everton could enjoy this season would be hinge on Calvert Lewin and how prolific he can be. Yes. Um, if they're not going to bring in a striker, then you know, it seems like he's he's completely reinvested and regenerated the midfield. But, um, you know, Cal- and Calvert-Lewin, his kind of underlying stats without trying to get too kind of like XG geeky in it all. It's quite, um, it's quite impressive. Mm. Um, but obviously, he's not finishing at the rate his stats would suggest. So whether with um, enhanced creativity and quality around him, he can kind of be that kind of 15 to 20 goal a season striker remains to be seen. Okay, uh, Rich, I mean, let's assume for a second that it's the three who come in and no more than those three. So Everton very much upgrade in midfield. You know, obviously Rodriguez will offer a great deal more in attack. Um, how do you personally view Everton kind of D 
doing next season and with Ancelotti in charge as well, another year of him and, and you know his coaching of, of the players they have now. It's going to be really interesting. I think Everton are always interesting because they've invested quite a lot in the last few years and it hasn't really worked out for them. And on the face of it, you look at the three signings and think, you know, that's really three really sound signings that all upgrade the midfield. But Everton always seem to somehow manage to sabotage themselves in some way. Yeah. And the one, I think the one the one danger that, that for Ancelotti is that I, th- I think it's always it's always a risk signing players you've had at former clubs because then if they don't perform as to the level that, that you hope or that the fans are expecting, then it puts a great deal more pressure on the manager, I think, because he said, look, these are your players. If they're not playing well, yeah. that's on you. Um, but, you know, on, it, it will be really interesting to watch. And on the face of it, that, that those three signings do improve them a lot. And I assume he's hoping that Rodriguez can chip in with with a few goals himself because Sigurdsson really had a really poor goal scoring season last season and you really need a 10 that's going to be going to be getting 10 or 15 goals and I, I guess he's hoping that, uh, that Hammers can do that yeah and and as you said Charlie as well what would be fascinating is to see what impact these signings will have on Calvert-Lewin because uh, I completely agree I think he's not just his stats but what you see as well is he's a quality forward he really is but it's finishing sometimes is awry. Um, it, it tends to be a confidence player, perhaps as well, which is typical of many forwards, of course. Um, surrounded by this better quality, uh, he could have a really good season ahead, which of course lends itself to kind of you know the, the next Euros as well with England. Um, okay, let's turn our attentions now to Yorkshire to Leeds. Um, they've secured several new faces already. Um, is there a danger? Let's start with you, Rich. Is there a danger of them making too many changes? I mean, we've seen with Fulham two years ago, they, I think they brought in some, like 12 new signings or 11 over the summer and they subsequently went down. Um, Villa promoted and again, brought in a lot of new faces and struggled last season. Might this be the case with Leeds if they bring in too many new signings? I don't think the problem is necessarily the volume. I think I think Villa and, and Fulham were um, examples of simply just terrible recruitment strategy in terms of targets. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I was looking at Leeds' signings before before we recorded and, you know, there's kind of really four sort of decent money signings have made. One's a keeper from League Two. One's Helder Costa, who is uh, he's one of those players that I always think looks really, really good in the championship, perhaps isn't quite good enough for the Premier League. Yeah. But I guess he's a, a good squad option. And, and then you've obviously that. got... Yeah, and I, I think Rodrigo is a, is an absolutely exceptional signing. I mean, Bamford's another one of those ones that I think kind of gets stuck between the leagues. I think he's very good in the Championship and not necessarily yes. quite quite up to it in the Premier League. So, I mean, Moreno is a huge upgrade on him, and I think that's a really, really sound signing. And um, the centre-back, Cock, is a really, really highly rated player. I mean, he came on for Germany last night, and I think that's possibly quite an astute signing as well. I think we saw from the... That from the the recruitment in the last kind of eighteen months in the championship as well, I think they recruited very soundly, and I'd have more faith in in Leeds to to recruit um, intelligently in the Premier League than perhaps I did with with Fulham or Villa. Okay, um, Charlie, you mentioned earlier about Thiago not being a, a Klopp type player. Um, a Leeds kind of restricted to a certain extent in having to sign a Bielsa type player. Um, perhaps. Um, I think using the word restricted is odd just because of of how good Bielsa isn't. You know, oh, they wouldn't yes, be in the yes. Premier League without Bielsa. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, I think in the signings, similar to similar to what Rich was saying, I mean, obviously three of them have been kind of re-signed, Harrison on loan and Costa and Mill, so to join on permanent deals. Three of the signings are, are kind of youth prospects. I wouldn't expect them to feature too heavily in the first team. So hmm. in terms of new players coming in, we're only really looking at Cock, the centre-back and um, Rodrigo. So I don't think it's an overload and I don't think it's going to drastically alter the way Leeds play or their personnel. Um, I'd even expect Bamford to probably play for the first three or four games while Rodrigo kind of gets up to speed because as, as a few Leeds fans have said, there's fitness and there's Bielsa fitness. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think uh, I think they could still do with another centre-back, obviously having failed or ostensibly failed to bring back Ben White on loan from uh, Brighton. Um, but yeah, I think that I think they'll be fine. I think that Bielsa obviously knows what he's doing. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see him manage in a first division for the first time. I think in about five seasons now. So, um, but I mean, I'm expecting Leeds to have a solid campaign, and I'm really, really interested to see how Bielsa takes to the Premier League. Oh, absolutely, same here. And um, you mentioned Ben White there, and you know we previously mentioned Liverpool's need for a centre half. United are in, in the market for centre half. Uh, Leeds still are with uh, uh, one fourth from um, Spurs for chasing, um, and Ben White. I don't know how much you can believe this, but you know the, the figures that have been touted. Like close to fifty million and forty million plus for him, and you know he looks like a really good prospect. He's had a really good two seasons, but this transfer market is getting out of control now, isn't it? It's it's just the figures for each player. Where I mean, let's say for example, going back to Liverpool and their need to bring in a, a kind of um, a reserve front three, someone who can challenge and take the strain off Salah, etc. Um, the players that have been linked with is Saar at, at Watford uh, and Adama Traore. I mean, the latter, uh, it's going to go for, what, £60, £70 million, pounds, isn't it, Rich? I mean, do you think that the prices are out of control these days for cost of players? I, I mean, ultimately, a, a signing is worth what it's... A player is worth what he's worth to the club that he's yeah, at yeah. now. Um, and I think Brighton probably looked at it and thought, this this kid's really promising you know, we, we're happy to keep him around, but we're only willing to sell for, sell for a huge fee. And it's interesting before the before the transfer window kind of opened, it was it was sort of mooted that this would be a, a buyer's transfer market. And I think in some in some in some cases that that is true. But I think we're also seeing that a lot, some selling clubs have a lot more power than we than we expected them to. Um, and Premier League clubs in particular. I mean, obviously the finances have been hit, but they're still um, relative money making machines, and so. They don't need to lose anybody too quickly. And if you're Brighton, you're thinking, okay, well, we could sell Ben White for, I don't know, 20, 25 million. But then we've got the issue of having to get a club to, you know, sign, sell us a player to replace him. Yeah. And if you've, already, if you've already got the player in the building, um, it, it, I think particularly this summer, it makes sense to, to hold on unless you're given such stupid money that, that it makes sense to, to move him on and perhaps even buy two or three players with it. Yeah, I think it's a similar situation, wasn't it, last season with Zaha? Um, you know, that yeah. went right way up to about 70 plus million um, mm. but of course it's not just losing Wilfred Saha it's the fact that Palace need to then replace him and that's easier yeah. said than done so okay let's look down south now to Tottenham and their business so far um, Holberg um, Dottery, um Joe Hart as a backup keeper Charlie this is hardly inspiring stuff is it um, it's it's not the top quality that you would expect from uh, a top kind of Champions League chasing European club. That said, I think all three of them are very Mourinho signings. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, Hoiberg, um, you know, people have questioned his mentality and attitude, but he is someone who will give 100%, who will run himself into the ground. 
Doherty doesn't stop running. Uh, Joe Hart, you know, everyone's seen that clip of him screaming at the ball boy from Euro 2012, you know, <laughs> a man full of passion, if nothing else, around the training ground. Um, and Mourinho kind of casts himself, as, as he always has throughout his career, through this kind of underdog narrative. And that's historically how he's built his team. So you look at uh, Porto winning the Champions League, the first Chelsea era before they'd ever won a Premier League, obviously Inter and Real when AC Milan and Barcelona were the dominant forces in Italy and Spain, respectively. It's obviously not worked out in recent years for him. You look at how he's gone into Manchester United. You can't cast yourself as the underdog if you're going to manage Manchester United. <laughs> um, and coming to Chelsea as well, it, it, when Chelsea were already, you know, they've won Premier League titles, they've won the Champions League by that point. So again, that kind of mentality doesn't work. Tottenham, without trophies, it almost kind of feels like it suits him. Yes, he's obviously going to want to win things, but he can kind of bring in players who are, you know, willing to die for the shirt, willing to to give their all. Um and yeah, I think they're quite shrewd appointments and I think it'd be interesting to see how Mourinho gets on this year, obviously before the subsequent, ex- you know, complete uh, explosion in two or three years time. Well, naturally, yeah, of course. <laughs> you <laughs> never talk, yeah. Uh, Rich, from what you've seen of Tottenham uh, since Mourinho's joined, has there been similarities to what you saw with Mourinho at Old Trafford? Yeah, I mean, there's been... Uh, a lot of the things that Chelsea fans said to... United fans before he joined us and we didn't really want to hear them. A lot of the same things I see at Spurs. Um, he, he's almost followed the same path. It, it, he goes from the first um, the first press conference where he's he's supposedly a new man, the, the calm one or whatever he whatever he says. He has a shave, he puts on a suit, he looks really swish and suave, and then and then as, as things go on and things don't quite go as they as they might, his his hair gets longer, he grows stubble, he gets grumpy. Um, the difference between this Mourinho, I think, and the Mourinho that was so successful at, at, at Chelsea in particular is that is that he, he there, there, there was some, there was something twinkling in his eyes, and he used to carry his squad behind him, and the conflict was always with external factors. Whereas now, if things aren't going his way, he he tends to start fires within his own club. Yeah, um, and I think that can be quite a corrosive. Um, a corrosive thing and and also there's a lot to the to watching Spurs last season you could see the similar sorts of issues that United had it, it just becomes really disjointed you you players form drops and he, I think initially he can get away with that and certainly Mourinho did in his second season at United where he kind of dragged us to second although I think De Gea played a big part in that but yeah there, there are a lot of um a lot of parallels and the one thing I'd be concerned of is that Mourinho spent, I think it's in the region of 380 million at United and was then still complaining that his squad wasn't good enough mm. and that, that other that, that he'd been prevented from from creating this team that would otherwise be brilliant. And he's now in a situation, the first time he's been in this situation since Porto, really, where he doesn't have money to spend. And I do just worry that if things don't go right down the line, he will he will have it's almost a a perfect excuse um to say, look, what can I do? What can I do? I've had no money. We've had to bring these guys in on on you know really bargain deals. I'm doing uh, this is all I can do, and then starting starting fires at Spurs. But it's definitely a ride having him as your manager. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was the danger for me when when he joined Spurs. I thought you know he's someone who demands very much of the board. I need mm. this player. I need that player. Tottenham are infamously kind of um, loathe to just spend and spend and spend. But then having sit, seen this Amazon documentary or the first three episodes, Daniel Levy is, I mean, talk about starstruck. You can see in mm. his eyes every time he's talking to Mourinho, he is mm. absolutely starstruck. So 
Who knows where that's going to go? Um, okay, well, let's kind of have a, a general view now of the Premier League um, on the clubs who maybe are kind of dragging their feet a little bit and, and perhaps need to get the skates on. Um, are there any clubs, Charlie, you think, who basically need to to sign players this season? They need to kind of you know get a move on. Well, I was kind of going through the clubs, sort of, you know, and their signings one by one uh, this morning. And I'd say probably about 17 of the 20 clubs probably still need to make signings quite critically. Um, I think what's a really interesting battle will be who can sign a striker um, from kind of the bottom half of the table teams who can kind of get that 10 to 15 goal mark. Uh, You look at Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Newcastle, Sheffield United, West Brom. I'd argue all all of them, all five of them need a striker. Um, And, you know, Ollie Watkins from... Brentford has been banded about a lot. Um, who lands him could be crucial in the relegation fight. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of other teams. Obviously, Burnley have a very, very thin squad. Uh, they've let Jeff Hendrick go to Newcastle. They don't seem to be recruiting a lot. Um, Arsenal, will they, won't they sign Thomas Partey? They seem to need a centre midfielder, but whether that happens or not, I'm not too sure. Um, we've already spoken about Liverpool and their need for kind of cover beyond and Manchester United to a certain extent their cover beyond the first team um, Manchester City your club Stephen I, I mean I'd be keen to get your thoughts but it seems like they need to get Koulibaly and perhaps a left back over the line as well yes yeah I mean I, I would say uh, a, a centre back is essential a left back would be you know ideal um, mm. but yeah I mean I, I go through the, the league and, and the one with jumped out at me was Burnley, same as you mentioned earlier, and, and the fact that they're going to lose Ben Gibson now as well. It's like, well, yeah. who are they going to be left with? <laughs> um, Rich, is there any, any kind of clubs that stand out for you who really kind of need to get their act together? I agree with Charlie. I, I'd go as far as probably saying 18 or 19 clubs. It's really only Chelsea that have mm. kind of attacked the transfer window um, and Everton have done you know, decent business so far as well. But as you say, the rest, the rest really need to get their skates on. But I, w- I wonder if it's the nature of the window at the moment that because money's at a premium, a lot of clubs are kind of waiting towards the end of the window and trying to drive, drive prices down. And I think you, I also get the impression there that there are quite a lot of clubs chasing the same, the same names. Um, and, and so it's just taking a bit longer. Um, and it, I think it, it may be the case because of the finances this summer that you, you do get quite a few clubs who simply can't, address issues they've got in their squads at the moment. Um, and I think the uncertainty going forward is will will add to that as well, because it's not just the money that the clubs have already lost. It's the, the fact they don't know when they're going to be, um, you know, having fans in the stadium. They don't mm. know exactly how the TV deal is going to um, come out in the wash with, you know, if games, if games aren't played as, as, as was intended by the TV companies. So, I think there's a lot of clubs being very, very cautious um, and we possibly won't see a great deal of movement until the last week or two of the window. Well, that does lend itself to a really exciting um, transfer deadline day. Yeah, Jim White will be delighted. I know. Oh, God, he's going to get an extra (laughs) yellow tie, isn't he? He will, yeah. (laughs) A very yellow tie indeed. Uh, Okay, let's end by looking at a couple of names who have moved already. Um, Just just your thoughts on them. Um, Charlie Willian to Arsenal. Does that make sense to you? Um, I'm going to say no. <laughs> really? Um, I think the, the length of the contract they've given him, yeah. uh, given his age, mm. uh, doesn't make sense to me. Um, he's, an, he's an experienced player who brings you know plenty to the table, but was it the position that Arsenal really needed to strengthen, uh, given the other areas of their team? I'm not so convinced, obviously, with the likes of Martinelli coming back to full fitness, Saka, they've got you know Reese Nelson who can play on the wing. 
um, it didn't, you know, it doesn't seem like the ideal signing to me. I'm not saying it's a bad one. I'm just saying there's perhaps other things that Arsenal could have addressed first. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, Rich, what's your view on uh, William? Yeah, I'd agree with Charlie. Um, I mean, he's a good player. He's a good player, and yeah. and I think he he gives him a, a good option on that on that right hand side. But at his age, length of contract he's got, the kind of money he's on, it, you know, if he does start to decline quite quite significantly in the last in the next twelve to eighteen months, then you know they have given themselves a bit of a problem. And given that the, the, the strength they need to do elsewhere, you wonder how much that takes out of their um, kind of wage budget. Um, I think they're they're another club that need to move quite a lot of players on as well. So we're really not going to know where where these things stand in the scheme of things until the end of the window. Okay, uh, Charlie, um, a player who I can't pronounce, um, Aberachi Aze, is it Aze from QPR? Yeah, Aze, Aze, something uh, like that. Yeah. yeah, I know who you mean. Yes. Um, uh, how much did you see of him in the championship? I mean, I've, I must be honest, I've only seen him once or twice, and kind of been bits and, and bobs really. Yeah, I'm similar to you. I've got I've got a friend who's a QPR season ticket holder, so I, I asked him, and uh, he seems to think he'll he'll kind of take to the Premier League like a duck to water. Right. Um, you know, he's he's young. I don't think he's the finished article yet, but he's certainly kind of a creative hub who will, should take some of that creative burden off Zaha's shoulders, which I think Palace are crying out for. Um, mm. I think you know we saw a few times last season if if people sort of double mark uh, Zaha, then then Palace can kind of be a bit void of ideas. Um, so ha- having someone on the opposite flank to him who can kind of, you know, create something out of nothing should be really valuable to them. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the player was the most fouled player in the championship last year. So with him and Zaha, I mean, opponents <laughs> just won't know who to target, will they? Yeah. Um, just need to get Jack Grealish now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, apparently he accounted for 33% of QPR's goals in the championship last year, uh, 14 goals and eight assists in total. Uh, Rich, what strikes me about this move um, because again, you know, I haven't seen him personally, but the people who I know who kind of you know have seen him rave about him. Mm. So what strikes me is that Palace last year very solid in defence, but woeful up top. I mean, you know, goals in yeah. very short supply. This year, I mean, there's rumours of Ryan Brewster coming on loan from Liverpool. You got Zaha, Ayu, Eze. I mean, that's a really good attacking lineup then. Yeah, I mean you're right. They they have had that defensive solidity, and that's something you would expect of a Hodgson team uh, for the last few years. And they have desperately needed it because, as you say, they they don't score enough. They've got a guy who's been playing up front in Benteke who see, seemingly lost the ability to score. Um, and, and and as Charlie said, Zahar has been their one really creative outlet. And if you stop him, you stop Palace. So uh, that may, it makes a lot of sense that they're trying to bring in um, another creative player and also a centre-forward who actually scores goals. Um, so I think they're quite... They're, they're good sense moves. I think Eze's a really good player. I, I, I've uh, spoken to the PR fans about it and they both kind of said he, he he's technically easily good enough for the Premier League, but he perhaps just needs to improve his consistency. But I think that's something that will will come in time. So I think that, that in itself is a really good move for, for Palace. Well, talking of consistency, the kind of last player I'd like to look at is Zayek. Um, going to Chelsea for Ajax. Um, his stats are just through the roof, uh, particularly in 2018-19, where he was Dutch Football of the Year. 16 goals, 17 assists in the Dutch League. And yet, I keep seeing reports from newspapers out there that he can be brilliant on one day. And like, well, in one newspaper said it astonishingly sloppy the next. Um, how good a signing is he, Charlie? I think he's a great signing. Um 
I mean, we could have probably dedicated an entire podcast just talking about Chelsea's transfer yes. business. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Ziyech, he, he definitely adds a different dimension to Chelsea's attack from that kind of right-hand side cutting in. Uh, obviously, they're rumoured to be getting Kai Havertz as well, Timo Werner up front. Um, you know, it looks like a completely new form attack from Chelsea next season. And it'll be really exciting to see how they all get on. But yeah, I think Ziyech's a fantastic player, very technically gifted. Um, and he should add a lot to the there Chelsea going forwards. Yeah. Um, Rich, I've seen um, several different kind of people say, allude to the fact that Chelsea are nailing it this transfer window and mm. this is precisely what United should have and could still do. Do you go along with that? No. Uh, Chelsea are in a very, very fortunate position. They're one of the very few clubs who are incredibly cash rich this summer. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they got an enormous fee for, for Hazard. They, they weren't able to spend any of their transfer budget last summer. Um, they'd obviously have whatever transfer budget they would have had this summer. And they've got an owner in, in Abramovich, who is one of the few who is able and probably willing to to essentially bankroll the, the losses that related to COVID. So they've I think they've done a very sensible thing, which is really attack a market in which nobody else has got the liquidity that they have. Um, and so they've been able to pick up players that there perhaps would have been a lot more competition for. And in that respect, I agree that United need to do that as well. And I think they've done that with um, with Van der Beek. Um, and, and if they do get Sancho over the line, it'll be a case of taking advantage of that as well. Nobody else having the, the money to do it this summer. Um, but I don't think you can compare the strategies of both because simply United aren't cash rich and Chelsea have been very cash rich. Okay. Well, leave it, let's leave it there, gents. Uh, I really enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoyed it too, uh, listeners. And, um, well, thank you very much, Charlie. My pleasure, Stephen. And thank you, Rich. Yeah, no problem at all. And as always, thank you, listeners, for tuning in and giving us this platform. Um, this Saturday, England take on Iceland. No one really knows why. Uh, but that's fine, because one week later, a brand new Premier League season begins with sparkling new kits and a slate wiped clean for all of our hopes and aspirations. There'll be new players to enjoy, and who knows, maybe one of them might be a bearded little genius from Rosario, Argentina, performing miracles at the Etihad. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and forever up the blues.